Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, January 1st, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Island College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year to you, Deadleg Norlander. Don't keep us guessing. Did you make the New Year's Eve wedding or did you party at home? I partied at home, as some people who follow my Instagram and listen to the podcast uh, saw. Did a, did a solo selfie. Deadleg Norlander is becoming a thing of the past in a hurry here. I'm, I'm, I'm on the mend, feeling better by the day, but I didn't want to chance it, so I dodged the, uh, the Brooklyn wedding. My wife went with her sister, brother-in-law, mother, and did all that stuff. I stayed home with the kids, and I just... I chilled on the couch, did some reading, listened to some tunes, built out the court report, and then kind of spent the final like 45 minutes of 2019 like flipping back between I never watched the television New Year's coverage. It's always like usually we go to a, a friend's house or something, so it's on, but you're never really watching it until there's it's 11:59 essentially. And so that was that was an experience. They had uh I checked CNN, they had Anderson Cooper trying Jägermeister for what I believe was the first time in his life, and Jaeger's disgusting. So that was actually entertaining to see him, because uh, I also don't think he like hardly ever drinks, and that's become part of the bit. Is he tries different things on New Year's Eve, and that's like the only time he drinks. So, um, but yeah, that was that was basically it. And then like twelve seventeen rolled around. And I was like, what am I doing up? Like kids are asleep, wife won't be back, and you know for an hour and a half or so, I just, I just passed out. So that was my New Year's. I know that you were coming to us from. Manhattan and New York City, and you were able to have uh, a sociable night out. We, we actually flip roles here. Normally, I'm out on New Year's. You're back at home. Uh, that wasn't the case there, but you sound mostly, mostly, you know, mid-afternoon, January 1st, 2020. I think you're fairly recovered here. Yeah, I feel good right now, but I haven't felt okay most of the day. It was rough getting up this morning. Like, I brought my wife. I'll be in studio CBS Sports Network on Wednesday night and Thursday night. So that's actually why I'm here. It's not just to be in New York. Right. But um, we, we came up on New Year's Eve. I brought my wife with me. And we – I might have talked about this podcast at some point you over did, the years. You did, but that's but okay. We yeah. exchange to um, I can't ever remember where I say what. So I have no idea. <laughs> I talked so many different places. I, I don't know where I've said – things that I say. So uh, we had an exchange student from Germany and an exchange student from Italy uh, several years back uh, in different years. Uh, but we've obviously stayed close with, with both of them. And we've been to Italy to visit the Italian and to Germany to visit the German. And we've met them in other places as well. And they've come back and visit. Long story, not so long. Uh, the German exchange student and her boyfriend uh, were spending New Year's Eve and really this whole week in New York City. So we said, OK, well, I'll bring Kelly up and we'll just spend New Year's Eve together. So we had a nice dinner and then we settled into a little bar uh, for the countdown. And the problem becomes I'm not I don't really hang out anymore. Like I, we, we go to dinners and then we go home or we hang out at home. But like the, I, the the days of me like just hanging out in the bar, like that's not really my lifestyle at all. And so when I you know, if I drink at home, like everybody in my house goes to bed by nine o'clock, everybody. And so I'll, I'll have a few drinks and then I'll just go to sleep. You know, I don't try to make a night out of it. But when you're out two in the morning and you can't go, you can't just roll over and go to sleep. 
you just end up drinking a lot more than you normally would. And so, yeah, I woke up with a bad headache. I, <laughs> I woke up, first thing I did walk, is walk to uh, CVS here in Manhattan. Now, CVS or, or Dwayne Reed? Can we be accurate for uh, Dwayne that? Reed, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. It, is, it, it was Dwayne Reed. Yeah. Okay. Dwayne Reed on 59th, if you want to get uh, specific. <laughs> okay. And uh, I grabbed a bottle of Advil. And a six pack of Coke Zero. <laughs> I've been I've been just chugging Coke Zero and and Advil. I feel good. I'm okay now. I guess. Okay. Doesn't need to be the Ion Anatomy podcast. I don't think. I think we can try and break the streak here. But yeah, let's. Uh, I'm glad you're doing doing your doing all right. Glad listeners are here with us. We do have some hoops to talk about here. It's been obviously relatively slow. I actually also watched some college basketball on new year's eve because i mean really what the hell else was i going to do and it wasn't it wasn't a night void of games i mean to this point in the season we've had at least like seven eight nine nights that were more dire than what uh, than what new year's eve provided us and that's because and the diehards will know this but um i most specifically remember this when conference realignment happened um the Big East always has games on New Year's Eve. At least a pair of league games. There's no matter what, they are always playing on New Year's Eve. That was uh, that was the case again. So, do you want to start there, or uh, anywhere else in particular? You're thinking that you want to lead off with the hoops content here. I want to start oh, with boy. the trivia time. Okay, trivia time, 2020. I don't know where you're going with this. All right, go ahead. Norlander, only two teams woke up this morning with four quadrant. One victories on the resume. Can you name them without looking? Two teams. Two teams. Yeah, Duke and Butler. Butler is one of them, and that would be the tie to New Year's Eve. Butler got a quad one win on Tuesday night at St. John's in a game they led by 23 points and then trailed by a point in the final minute and then end up winning 60-58. That was their fourth quadrant one victory. The other team is not Duke. Well, we've done this. Okay, so we did a variation of this trivia time like five podcasts ago, and Duke was one of the answers. And then you had me guess all these teams. Oh my gosh, it's not Duke. Four quad ones. It's not Baylor. Butler's one of them. It's not Kansas. Uh. Okay. You just said something that's untrue. Oh, Kansas is the other one. It is Kansas. Kansas has four quadrant one victories. For Kansas, it is uh, a win over BYU on a neutral, a win over Dayton on a neutral, Colorado at home, and then that win at Stanford. That's the four quadrant one wins. Kansas is number two in the net rankings. Get out of here. Stanford is a quad one right now. I don't want to hear it. Yes. A road win at Stanford is a quad one victory. I know it's gonna, and it's and gonna, it's gonna, yeah, it'll it'll remain that because, and eh, maybe Stanford might not be. Yeah, Stanford should be top seventy five by throughout the season, so that'll that'll stay strong as a quad one. And then Butler is number four in the net, and their four quadrant one victories are Stanford on a neutral, yep. at S, Purdue on a neutral, and then Tuesday night's win at St. John's. They went in. To Karnaseka, and they knocked off Golden Gate Mike. That was a that was a wild game. I'm not going to pretend that I sat and watched it, but I did follow <laughs> it closely because I was, like, honestly, I didn't want to have to wake up early and start readjusting a whole bunch of top 25 and one stuff. So you know how you know how I feel about Golden Gate Mike. But if I'm being honest, I was like, 
come on, Butler, just the, the, I don't want to mess with the top 25 and one tomorrow morning. I want to just uh, write a few new comments, 175 word lead and be done with it. And then they're up 23. So I'm like, OK, that's that. And then I keep wa- watching the score and watching the score. And next thing you know, St. John's is up and then Butler ends up again. Uh, the, the down one in the final minute, Christian Davis, uh, David hits a three pointer with right. 43 seconds left. That gives Butler a 60, 58 lead. And those were the final points of the game. So Butler wins at 60-58 to improve to 13-1 and notch its fourth Quadrant 1 victory. Yeah, I'll be quick on this. By the way, there's zero reason for you to be tracking a Butler-St. John score on New Year's Eve when you're in Manhattan. I understand what, like, you got to update the top 25-1 and one every day and all that stuff, but you, you don't need to be, like, pinching down on the scoreboard just to see where this is going. I, I was. I, it was... Uh... My wife and I and uh, Diana from Germany and Philip from Germany uh, having dinner at Philippe Chow uh, while I uh, keep track of the Butler St. John score. That's exactly how that They're like trying to hold a conversation with you and under your breath they're like, what is he saying? It gets quieter. They put down the silverware. The house music's still going. Your wife's eyes lock with them. They're like, what's he saying? What's he saying? And they get, they just lean in and all they hear is, Golden Gate Mike. Golden Gate Mike. <laughs> Golden Gate Mike. Anyway, Butler was couldn't stop giving the ball away. That's the only reason why they the St. John's was able to come back. Uh, had 24 turnovers. It was a uh, disaster in slow motion for much of the second half. Wound up pulling it out. Got the win. Now at 13-1. and one. Uh, When my power rankings refresh on Thursday morning, January 2nd, Butler most definitely will be within the top five there. For St. John's, tough loss. First league game, what can you do? You want to win this at home, couldn't quite do it. Butler gets the win, and uh, in, in doing so, again, you just as a reminder here, uh, if, if we were to do a, a bracketology, a mock bracketology here, uh, Butler is a one seed right now. It's indisputable with the, with the resume it has at the moment at 13-1, and one, and it's been a, a beautiful surprise for the Bulldogs right now. I had someone ask me, what's Butler's ceiling this season? And given what this season is, Butler's ceiling is getting a one seed and making the final four. So not saying those things will happen, but um, good enough on both sides of the ball. Kamar Baldwin's so much fun to watch. Um, he's got plenty around him here. Jordan Tucker, Bryce Golden, Sean McDermott. I like the pieces there. And uh, and so they move on and they start the league at 1-0. and oh. And the team was eighth in the preseason Big East poll. Um, yeah, if you go back and look at that now, it was like eighth uh, Butler, ninth St. John's, tenth DePaul, and all of those teams are like respectable. Like, there's really not. I don't think there's a bad team in the Big East, and that's why some people have been arguing that the Big East is is actually the best conference in the country right now. Now, it's not according to Ken Palm. Right now, it'd be Big Ten number one, Big Twelve number two, Big East number three. But I do think you can make a reasonable argument that top to bottom, um, that the the Big East is maybe the best in the country this season. They certainly have fewer bad teams than any other league, if only because I'm not sure they have a bad team. Yeah, there's an argument to be had for that at this point, and the teams in the league, uh, most of them, Villanova, Villanova, an exception, is going to play UConn out of league play, but a lot of them are done non-con play. So the Big East kind of settles where it settles. And um, I did answer this in the court report on Wednesday. Uh, someone asked, "What's how many wins is going to win the Big East and who's going to finish last? And I ultimately settled on, I think, 
the winner of the league is going to get about 13 out of the 18. It's an 18-game league schedule for this season. Then when UConn joins next season, it's going to go to 20. But I think 13 and 5 will probably win the league. And, uh, I mean, you know, Butler, Hall, Nova, those are the teams you're looking at right now. Um, I don't I don't know. One of those teams will win it. And then I think the bottom of the league will actually wind up being Georgetown and St. John's. But I even still think that they're going to get a decent number. Like, I think they're going to get seven wins, which was what happened a year ago um, in terms of the basement of the Big East. Seven wins for Providence and DePaul and Butler was the was the seller. You know, and that's pretty solid overall. And I think that'll happen again this season. Georgetown, by the way, I know we're not going to get to him here, uh, got pasted at Providence on New Year's Eve, but it didn't have Mac McClung. Um, I, I think I'm just start, I'm starting to sell on the Hoyas a little bit here. But uh, but anyway, um, that, that's my expectation. 13 will get it done. And I think the spread from the first team at the top of the standings to whatever team or teams finished at the bottom, six, maybe seven games max between uh, wins and losses there. Real quick on Providence, that was one of your favorite teams in the preseason. They did not get off to a great start, just 6-6 six and six through 12 games. And then they go and beat Texas 70-48 and Georgetown 76-60. Now, I'm not sure uh, how good Texas is, how good Georgetown is, but I don't think they're bad basketball teams, and yet Providence made both of them uh, look like bad basketball teams. So maybe uh, the Friars are, are starting to – to take form uh, in, in a way that that jives a little bit better with what you thought they were going to be in the preseason. Maybe, but we'll we'll hold off on this. They got to play at DePaul. No gimme on this weekend, and then at Marquette. Uh, Marquette's looking pretty solid, but we are recording this in advance of Marquette playing at Creighton Wednesday night. Uh, would be a big win for the Golden Eagles if they could get that to move to eleven and two. We'll see. Uh, big East is going to be a lot of fun. I mean. We're going to get to a point here where a lot of the results in the league are going to um, give us maybe some contradictory feelings in terms of how good or not some of these teams are. But ultimately, I think it's a it's going to set up well for the for the conference. Let me just you know put a bow on this. And you know, I, I think that because of how strong the league is and how well it did out of out of league play, um, five is a lock, six is possible, and seven is definitely uh, not out of the realm of possibility for the Big East getting at-large teams into the NCAA tournament. So Matt Norlander published his court report earlier today, and he had a lead item that was uh, interesting. We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. Hey, everybody. It's Will Brinson, host of the Pick 6 podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL podcast. We know the sports world is very different than it was a few weeks or even months, certainly months ago. But I'm here to let you know we will remain daily. We are dedicated to bringing you content every day. It's not changing. That's just what we do. It's sort of our thing. We had you covered for free agency in March. And in April, we will be draft central, breaking down all the rumors and all the possibilities for what happens. Not in Vegas, but maybe some television studios somewhere during the NFL draft. So join me in the cast of characters for Pick 6 Monday through Friday. Available to you first thing in the morning. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcast shows. The world of golf is on hiatus, but thankfully for you, the First Cut podcast crew is not. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we keep you informed and entertained 
through this unprecedented time. No tournament, no problem. We're still coming at you three times a week during these trying times. Tune in as we bring you weekly news, rewatches, interviews, and trivia. What are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. So Norlander publishes Court Report, his weekly column uh, that runs every Wednesday earlier today. And the lead item was about Maine taking a road trip to Hawaii, which doubles as the longest road trip in the history of college basketball. For people who haven't read this yet, explain what this is and why Maine did this. Yeah, I just I wanted to spend a quick minute on this um, because when I was checking scores over the weekend, I noticed uh, – Maine, Hawaii, and I thought, well, that's just ridiculous. Is Maine playing? Like, did I miss something with the Diamond Head Classic or anything like that? No. So, the University of Maine, which is located in Orono, which is about 20 minutes north of Bangor, which is in the middle of Maine. We're not talking like Portland, Maine, you know, on the southeast coast or anything like that. Richard Barron, second-year coach there, they decide to schedule this game at Hawaii. And I, I don't know why they – I heard from a couple of coaches saying, what are they doing? Are they out of their minds? Now, yeah, sure. You live in Maine. You get to go, go to Hawaii. It's an awesome thing, particularly over break, and, and that's great and all. But you could just as easily try and schedule a game in South Florida or San Diego and cut the trip in half, if not more so. A couple of quick details on this. Only by the crow flying – was it 10,766 miles? They flew from Bangor to Philadelphia. That's 472 miles. Philadelphia to Chicago. That's 675 miles. Then Chicago to Honolulu. That's 4,236 miles. That's just one way. The team got up over the weekend at 5... No, it departed at 5.45 a.m., so God knows what ungodly hour it woke up at. Did not land in Hawaii until 8 o'clock local that night. That amounts to about 19 hours worth of travel. And if you're Maine, now Hawaii pays for the travel. Because if you're Maine, you cannot afford to play this game. It's it, The cost is ungodly. I don't even know how, as a side note, Parrish, I didn't even include this. I don't even know how Hawaii's athletic department is run or budgeted because it literally has to pay for flights, hotels, ground transportation for almost every single team that comes and plays in Oahu for non-conference competition as a way of getting the games period there because it's not exactly the easiest thing. But one other note, this is commercial travel from Bangor, Maine to Honolulu. Like, the experience, I'm sure, was awesome. This is random. It's the longest possible road trip you can have in college athletics, period, because there's no further uh, team east than the University of Maine and no further team west than the University of Hawaii. But that's that's like that's travel hell. Three airports, three layovers, commercial flights. You're sitting on an airplane north of 16 hours traveling through all that stuff, so... I guess credit to Maine. It's a total scheduling oddity. It never happened before. I don't know if it'll ever happen again. But as you know, so many people listening, and you and I know, like 
these vacations that we that we seek to take, that we hope to take, that we're fortunate enough to take, that are overseas or involve like flying to Hawaii, like the one downside about it is the air travel is killer. Imagine doing that, and oh by the way, main lost by forty. No, imagine doing that, and oh by the way, it's a basketball team. My point being this. Like, it's one thing for me. Like, last year, I went to the Maui Invitational. So I flew Memphis to L.A., L.A. to Honolulu, Honolulu to Maui. But I'm five, seven and a half and in first class. So, I'm, so it's it's like a long trip, but I'm like, I'm cool. I'm watching movies and having drinks and stretched out. Now imagine, because I, I, I doubt Hawaii's paying first class tickets <laughs> for an entire basketball team. So now imagine you're six foot nine sitting in 32B. For 19 hours. Terrible. I mean, it's it's great. It, it's insane that they would do this. I like. <laughs> I mean, I, listen. Here's here's the thing about Hawaii. It is awesome when you get there. It's awesome while you're there. It is not awesome getting there. I mean, you get to LA and you still got like another five or six hours yes. across the ocean. I mean, it's a it's, it's it's a not fun trip. In fact, John Calipari, I think, is on record saying that he will not take Kentucky to the Maui Invitation. That's right. He says it's just not worth it. Yeah. yeah, he's like it's just not worth going. It 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 takes too much out of your basketball team. You, the 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 time zone, uh, the time changes, the travel time, and that's you know if Kentucky goes, they're going charter. Like they, they yeah. they're you know they they might have to touch down and refuel somewhere. I don't know how that works, but they're going to be on a private chartered plane where everybody can stretch out and do what they want to do. And so for Maine to do this without that is just uh, bananas. I would love to know the. The rationalization uh, uh, behind putting putting a basketball team through that uh, because it seems it seems excessive. Uh, it 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 does. Um, yeah, I don't know. And Maine is, but it is just a quick side note to wrap this up. I mean, Maine. We talk about like some of the hardest jobs in the country. Uh, you know, the military academies uh, certainly qualify. SWAC jobs, obviously, MEAC jobs. Uh, Maine, given its severe budgetary limitations, its location, its league, all of it, everything, uh, I would say easily qualifies as a top five tough job in the country. And I, I, I sincerely hope that those players had a great time and got the most out of it because then they had to fly back overnight to Chicago. I mean, it's just it's just so much and you lose by 40. Like it's not like you're even good enough to compete with Hawaii once you get there. So um, it was just something that popped me. Slow week, uh, you know, the longest conceivable true road trip. I mean, if teams are flying, you know, to China for this Pac-12 stuff, it's technically longer. But this is a genuine road trip for a road environment game. Uh, it's the longest possible one you could ever that you could ever see. And just as a side note, the longest one within the continental United States would be, and I did not look if this has ever happened or not, but if the University of Miami is the southernmost eastern school by like a half mile over Florida International playing at Washington. So that's the longest distance within the, and it's like, you know, it's basically half as long as, uh, as what Maine had to do to get to Hawaii. Well, yeah, that was interesting. If you haven't seen it yet, go check out the court report. It is at, it is at cbssports.com. Uh, so this is the Wednesday podcast, the midweek podcast. We close every midweek podcast with the mailbag, and we try to draw the questions uh, from Apple Podcasts. That's uh, another way we've encouraged you guys to 
to you know, go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate the podcast favorably, five stars, leave a nice comment. And then if you want to ask a question there, uh, I can't promise we're going to answer every question, but I can promise I will see every question and then I will pick some questions and then we'll discuss them at the end of the midweek podcast. So I went uh, over to Apple Podcasts. Thanks to everybody who, uh, who, who took the time to do this. And I grabbed three questions. Norlander, here's the first one. Okay. Comes from Pete. Pete asks, do you see any teams – from what are traditionally bid leagues, do you see any teams from those types of leagues that could make a run into the second weekend of the NCAA tournament? So teams from one bid leagues that could maybe get to yeah. a Sweet 16, anybody on your radar? Um, all right. So knock out the, the Big 7 leagues, knock out the Mountain West, knock out WCC, West Coast Conference is definitely a multi-bid league this year, knock out the A-10, which sets up to be a multi-bid league this season. Uh, I, by the way, I'll answer this, but I did dip into the review section for the first time in a long time. Some of these reviews are great. These questions are great. So, um, uh, go three, keep, keep su- submitting them. There's some good stuff in there that we can even stow away for future episodes. I was, I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised with, uh, some of the creativity you guys had there and way too, way too many, way too many reviews mentioning the dead deer on my front yard, by the way, there's like seven of those, <laughs> like, I did not realize the profound impact that this would have on the listenership. I knew what the profound impact it would have on me, and even then I underestimated it given everything that we've endured over the in recent weeks here. But uh, but <laughs> shouts to all you people all the same. Uh, it's so funny. All right, uh, as for the question, um, Sweet 16? I've got three. You've I've got, got three. three. Sweet now, 16 level. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, now listen, I don't think any of these three will get to the Sweet 16, but if the question is, you know, team league that could, here's three that I think maybe could. Um, Liberty, I, I, Louisiana yes. Tech, okay. and East Tennessee State. They're all right next to each other at Ken Palm, 64, 65, and 66. Louisiana Tech's 10 and 3, Whoa. got a win over Mississippi State. Liberty's 14 and 1, lone losses to LSU. East Tennessee State is 12-2 and two with a win over LSU. Now, I don't know if a win over LSU means that's a win over a tournament team. I'm not sure LSU's going to get there. I'm not sure Mississippi State's going to get there. But those are three teams I could you know, theoretically see. You know, we look up. we got 16 teams left, and one of them's La Tech. One of them's East Tennessee State. One of them's Liberty. That wouldn't surprise me. I, I wouldn't predict it, but it wouldn't be shocking. All right, those are all viable. I would throw in, and we lack the evidence in the in season right now, but once you get the tournament, anything can happen. Bob Ritchie's Furman Paladins, only because the program has been – it's been building toward this from Nico Medved – uh, who was there until he took the Colorado State job in 2017 to now this is the third season with Bob Ritchie. Obviously, Furman uh, made some noise a season ago when it was able to win at Villanova. Uh, the team is good yet again, and it's you know it's it's in the same conference. It's in the SoCon uh, as East Tennessee State. Uh, those are the two best teams. Greensboro is also good again this season. You'll recall last season it was Wofford getting in. And then uh, Furman and Greensboro had cases. ETSU was just a, a little bit back. Um, that's a good league, and because it's strong at the top, that's why I'd also toss in Furman with your ETSU nomination. And then uh, Vermont has been, I would say, disappointing is fair because it's 9-5 and five and the loss to Ryder and, the, and to Greensboro and maybe even to Yale. Uh, on the whole, Vermont didn't think it would be 9-5 and five through 14 games, but still can be good enough if it gets to the tournament again. 
Um, could have the best player on any of the teams we've mentioned, Anthony Lamb. Uh, if if he can stay right, get right, and get, become you know a little bit better from deep, that's the bugaboo with him is he's not good enough from three-point range. Those would be the other two teams that I would consider there. But, uh, but keep an eye out, particularly this season, obviously. Um, it seems like, and we'll see if it happens, but a year ago, None made the Sweet 16. Oregon was the only double-digit seed to make it to the second weekend. And obviously Oregon out of the Pac-12. Everyone else was a single-digit seed. This could be a flip of that, and we could have, you know, one, two, or three teams from single-bid leagues or just lesser teams, call it, you know, BYU just not being, you know, considered a a top-30 type team. If a BYU broke through the Sweet 16 this season, it wouldn't surprise me. Norlander, next question comes from Tommy, and he asked the following. Who is the best one-loss team in the country? Crazy timing on this because I was looking at this very thing earlier today as I was trying to assemble um, the power rankings. I will say it's Gonzaga, and the reason I'll say it's Gonzaga is this. Gonzaga's 14-1, and and it's been able to get to that record despite not having full health and just as a reminder to listeners, because you can't track all this stuff here, really quickly are all of the one-loss teams as we record this podcast. Liberty, Arkansas, Wichita State, Memphis, West Virginia, Baylor, Butler, Duke, and Gonzaga. Of that group, to me, right now, the best team in America is Gonzaga. It raced number one in offensive efficiency. Only loss came to Michigan. Again, it has not had a fully healthy roster yet. For most of the season, and it's still won 14 out of 15 as it prepares for WCC play. I think Gonzaga's only going to get picked off once in the conference, probably at St. Mary's, maybe at BYU. But if it only loses one more game the rest of the way here, it's going to be a one seed. Somebody asked me, and I think the I think your answer is correct. I think it's Gonzaga. Um, it, it, you could make the argument Duke. Duke is 12-1. and one. Um, they, They've got wins over Kansas and Michigan State. They've lost to Stephen F. Austin, but they're really just a bucket away from being undefeated in the unanimous number one right now. Uh, they are still number one at, at Ken Palm, but I'll go with Gonzaga, 14-1. They got the wins over Oregon and Arizona. Um, somebody asked me, because it, like in theory, Gonzaga could be, you know, Gonzaga's number one in the AP poll, number one in the coaches poll. They could be there through Selection Sunday. Um, obviously, if they lose, they won't, but there's a chance um, that th- that they won't lose again. They are better than everybody else. They're going to play now. At St. Mary's is is usually difficult. At BYU, I assume will be a challenge, but I, I don't think anybody's going to push them too hard. Um, I- I'd be surprised if they lose a home game. I guess I did. So, so but so somebody asked me, will you drop Gonzaga from number one? Uh, e- 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 you know, even if they don't lose. Meaning schools in other leagues like the ACC, Big 12, yeah. uh, Big 10, Big East are going to be able, you know, we open this podcast talking about Quadrant 1 wins. Gonzaga um, right now has three and they're going to be teams in other leagues that are just going to shoot way past that number. And they'll be sitting here with six quad one wins, eight quad one wins, nine quad one wins. How do you... How how would you handle that? Like if you were an AP voter or with your power rankings, will will you drop Gonzaga from the top even if Gonzaga never loses again? Um yes, only in this regard because I assemble the power rankings like this. It's not the totality of the resume, it's how you've played and how you've looked when you've played over the, you know, 
kind of a, a viscous two to four week kind of span. So if we had Duke rolling and killing teams in the ACC and easily winning against better competition and Gonzaga was still winning, but it's just doing it against that, I would, I personally would flip there, but that's just how I assemble the power rankings. It's like, if you look really, really good for three straight weeks and you're just killing everyone, then I will vault you over teams that maybe not have lost because that's just that's more of how I try and you know build it out one to nineteen. Yeah, I don't think I will. I think if Gonzaga continues to win, Gonzaga will stay number one in the top twenty-five and one. And the reason is because they might not end up with as many, and they definitely won't end up with as many quadrant one wins as. You know, whoever the best teams in the ACC are, the best teams in the Big Ten are, best teams in the Big 12, best teams in the Big East. But it's not their fault. You know, it's, I'm, mm-hmm. it's not their fault that they play in the West Coast Conference. And I'm not going to punish them for their league affiliation when they have shown themselves to be truly elite through a challenging non-league portion of their schedule. You know, they've got a neutral court win over Oregon that I think is going to look great. Oregon right now is in the top five of the top 25 and one. Um, They've got road wins at Washington and Arizona. They've got that uh, home win over North Carolina that probably isn't going to mean much, no matter what North Carolina does going forward, because, you know, Cole Anthony was not on the court for that. But still, they they proved themselves to be elite. And I, I think to... To drop them from number one if they never lose is to punish them mostly based on league affiliation, and I just I don't think I want to do that. All right, so we're in agreement. Gonzaga, best one-loss team in America as of now. Intriguing competition behind them, and um, we'll see who can you know as league play gets going here. I think you know that number is going to dwindle. We're we're nearly at ten uh, overall right now, and we might be down to five or six you know within a week, a week and a half time. Last question. It comes from Dolver, and I'm not. I didn't. I didn't know this. Something people out there were wondering about, but this is the question he asked: Does Gary Parish live in Memphis or Mississippi? I love this question. Thank you. There were a couple of them, and I don't remember the other one. You got You got to first of all. You got to read the whole thing. But there were a couple. That I was like, he needs to read these. There's another one. I can't remember. I might. I might pluck it for next week's. But all right, read the whole. <laughs> Read the whole thing. I don't have the whole thing in front of me. Oh, you don't. You I just don't want have to, it in you, front of me. Okay. <laughs> this guy asks whether you live. Oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's such a good. Okay, qu- I got it right here. Okay. I, I got it right here. Okay. Uh, Dover 22, he writes the following. This is my absolute favorite mystery podcast. Yes. Uh, for the past few years, this podcast has been cranking out episodes that seek to answer the does Gary Parrish live in Mississippi or in Memphis, Tennessee? Some people point to comments from GP about how his home is in Mississippi as evidence. Others focus on his claims to be in the local market for all the Penny Hardaway news. However, these are all red herrings. The true clues are buried deep within the shouts at the end. How does Chester, South Carolina come into play? Who is Larnell and what makes him a legend? In the end, all of these clues come together to reveal the truth. In the interest of avoiding spoilers, I will say no more. <laughs> That is a terrific review question, all in one. Um, I mean, you're, you're Gary Parrish. You're going to have to – for what it – I don't know if this particular listener has – what do you say at the top? How long has he been listening to the podcast? Years. Years? That he's not, that he's not listening carefully enough because at least a dozen times you have clarified your resident situation uh, because you work in Memphis – but you live just over the border in Mississippi, so it's like about a 25-minute commute there. 
Um, but really, the question is ultimately, when you say where you're from, is it are you from Mississippi or are you from Memphis, P- GP? People got to know. Well, I, I think what like, OK, let's say I get into an Uber. You know, I'm, I'm in New York City. I get into an Uber. And for some reason, we're talking to the Uber driver. If the Uber driver were to ask, for some so, uh, so where are you from? I would say I'm from Memphis because though I live technically in Mississippi, my, my, my community is just a suburb of Memphis. It just happens to be over the state line. It is Hernando, Mississippi. According to Family Circle magazine, one of the top 10 places to raise a f- family in the United States. Uh, oh, really? Family yes. Circle says that, huh? Is it not? That's what well, family- if that's the case... If that's what Family Circle's saying, it sounds to me like you don't want to say I'm from Mississippi because you don't want to be stigmatized at the start of a conversation by other people because they might think like, oh, this guy's from Mississippi, which I don't think should be the case because <laughs> Mississippi is home to some of the greatest authors in American history. It's got such rich, uh, rich history in regard to that. I mean, I know there are other aspects of the state. Uh, even still to this day, that are not exactly uh, prideful, uh, to put it to put it mildly. But um, but yeah, I I feel like if that's where you go to sleep at night, and you're not like you can't take your bike to Memphis, you can't ride a bike to Memphis. You need to get in a car, get on, and you, then you could you could take a bike I mean, to Memphis. Theor- theoretically, yeah, sure. But you know what I'm saying. Um, I think I think you gotta start telling people you're from Mississippi. Okay, so I'm 20 minutes from the Memphis International Airport, 25 minutes uh, from Bill Street. Here's the truth. You want me to uh, break it down? I was born in Memphis. I was raised in Horn Lake, Mississippi, which is right next to Hernando. Uh, It's a little further north than Hernando, um, closer to Memphis. Um, So I was raised in Horn Lake. And then my wife and I li- – and then I lived in Memphis. I went to school at Memphis, uh, lived in Memphis after I got out of school. My wife and I lived in, in downtown Memphis until we were pregnant with our – and then we moved to the suburbs, first to Olive Branch, Mississippi, and then yeah. eventually to Hernando, Mississippi. So there are basically four cities in the – in DeSoto County, Mississippi, Horn Lake, South Haven, Olive Branch, and Hernando – I grew up in Horn Lake. My wife grew up in South Haven. We lived in Olive Branch once upon a time, and we now have settled into Hernando, one of the top ten places to raise a family, including the Family Circle magazine. All right, so the the mystery is done. The mailbag is done. Keep sending in your questions, (laughs) no matter how elaborate they are, (laughs) whatever they thrust upon us, like... (laughs) <laughs> like that that was i love that question though and uh and yeah that's pretty much all we got you got to get to the studio man right we you got studio work college hoops games on tonight wednesday thursday cbs sports network i want to encourage the listeners of this cbs sports network i'm going to be earnest and genuine here gp does a terrific job doing studio in fact sometimes i even catch myself thinking like that's the same dude who sometimes like we get ready to do these podcasts and it's like that's the same person. He does a great, great job, uh, and it's always fun watching you. He will be in New York, obviously, weekly, uh, from here through the end of the season, and we'll still be getting your pods three times a week. Um, we just, you know, we might have to juggle depending on uh, travel schedules and all that stuff. But uh, enjoy it tonight, man. A little light on the slate. There's still uh, there's still enough to entice us uh, before you get back home when we pod Friday morning. 
Thank you for those nice words. And we do. We got a trailer tonight. So I'll be, not only will I be in studio soon, I'll be in studio for a while, like well after midnight. We've got a, a hour long Inside College Basketball show that I believe starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. And then we've got a triple header, and then we'll have an Inside College Basketball at the end of the night. So it'll be uh, me, Brent Stover, Khaled El Amin, and Ryan Hollins in studio. And then uh, I think just me and Stover in studio by ourselves tomorrow night. I'm not real sure. But either way, uh, tune in if you're bored. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Tigo. He's a little now. Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rated favorably, five stars, nice comments. We will talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care. Hey, y'all, it's Chip Patterson from CBS Sports. If you're a diehard fan of college football, then you don't need me to remind you that this sport knows no offseason. And let's be honest, if you're a diehard fan of college football, I kind of expect you to already be subscribed to the Cover 3 podcast. But don't worry if you missed out on the lock fights, late night instant reactions, and emergency podcasts in 2019. There's still room for you to join us. Results on the field in the fall are the product of pieces that were set in place in the winter. So don't miss out on the moves, news, and headlines that will determine the 2020 National Championship. Download and subscribe to Cover 3 Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.